Welcome back to the Lion Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts on all things health and wellness, help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's episode is a masterclass on all things light, photo, biomodulation. You could say if you wanted to use fancy jargon, that would translate to the manner in which light augments or affects our cellular physiological function. Um, light, in my opinion, is hands down, maybe not the most, one of the most undervalued uh, assets that we have in our healthcare toolbox. And it has an interesting story of how it was villainized back, it dates back to the 20s. We get into that with our guest today, Matt Maruka, who is a world leading expert on all things light, the mechanics of light, the way it informs and affects our physiology, how the lights inside of our house affect us after the, the sun goes down, how that impacts our circadian rhythms, our sleep, even the impact of pain or our sensitivity to pain, uh, our sexual function, so many different things. So this conversation is chock full with good stuff. I think you guys are going to really dig it. I want to thank you guys so much for subscribing to this. So you catch each week's episodes. Uh, thank you for the reviews on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this. I appreciate you very much. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Let's get to it with my guy, Matt Maruka. Pow. Matthew Maruka. Hello, Aaron. How are you? Thank you for making time to do this. I want to start off with a hard-hitting, poignant question. And I want to hear your thoughts on um, butthole sunning. Is that, <laughs> That's so funny. Is that, oh is that bullshit? Is that legit? Do we need to get <sighs> so our, funny. Our, our anuses <laughs> in the sun? What do you think? I actually think there's definitely something to it, uh, like 100%, because there's a few things going on there. I think that sunning the anus itself, it's a funny subject to speak about, but <laughs> I mean, there can be like antibacterial effects, like helping keeping the gut in balance, you could say. A lot of the light penetrates through the skin. So even if you just sun your stomach, it's good. But particularly between the anus and genitals is this area called the perineum. And it's like that base, basically. And it's also considered the root chakra, as you know, in these traditional Eastern philosophies, and in particularly in Hinduism and India and yoga. And I think that when you get sun on the perineum, potentially you're getting like a direct charge of energy into your chakra system straight from the root. So I think there's definitely something to it, uh, especially considering that we almost never get any light down there. And if we were living out in nature, you know, a few hundred thousand years ago, we probably wouldn't have been wearing clothes. Or if we had a loincloth, there's still light that gets in there. But when you're totally covered, it's really not. So there's definitely something to it. What do you think about the balls? Uh, that one's easier to speak about because there's actually research about it. Like especially yep. you had the red light you shown a little bit earlier. And that has been shown in some papers to have like 200 or 300% increase in testosterone. So that one's like a, a total no-brainer. Yeah. So light is interesting. And I'd like to ask you as well, like just like what is light? light because i like asking like big dumb elementary questions that are actually like in this case you know i, I don't i don't even know if we know what light is exactly um it's probably subjective in, in certain certain ways uh, but i'd i'd love to well i guess to start like what the hell is light is it it's just the thing that like allows us to do stuff during the daytime keeps us up at night like what is the physical substance of light 
I actually love that you asked that because like when you ask the question, it makes me actually have to reflect inwards and say, wow, I've learned a lot about light and, and what I think it is and does, but have I actually spent a lot of time looking at what light fundamentally is at the core? And that's something that's a very interesting point. So I'd love to get into that. <laughs> makes me want to do more research, to be honest. But at, basically, I can give a pretty great answer to start, at least I think. So in the story of, let's say, creation, but from the scientist's viewpoint of the Big Bang Theory, in the beginning, I always thought that there was light immediately, like that light was sort of the primordial uh, thing of all creation, the primordial energy of, of all creation. And then I actually learned that that isn't true. So like I was, I'm the guy all about light. So I can start the qu answering the question by saying what light isn't. It, it isn't the most fundamental energy, although it's, it's one step above it. Uh, when, according to the Big Bang Theory, the first thing th that existed was nothing. And then from it came everything. And it was more like vibration energy than it was electromagnetic. And so then like a certain mm, uh, orders of magnitude less than a second, uh, fractions of a second after the Big Bang Theory supposedly started, all of a sudden there was a, a split between positive and negative charge. So there's positive and negative and light is basically an expression of positive and negative charge. So like when you have light, the second is called an electromagnetic field and light is to be more specific, light is the part of the electromagnetic spectrum that we can perceive with our eyes. So light in the traditional definition goes from somewhere around 400 nanometers to somewhere around 788 or 800 nanometers. That's what we can see. But then like we'll say infrared light, ultraviolet light, it's not even part of the visible spectrum. So Technically, it's not light in the standard definition, but it's electromagnetic radiation. Then if you talk about like x-rays, radio waves, microwaves, like the stuff our phone uses to communicate or the x-rays that they scan when you have an injury or whatever, those are also basically what we would almost consider light. But technically speaking, they're just part of the electromagnetic spectrum. They're electromagnetic radiation. And so light is a slice of the electromagnetic spectrum. And what I'm trying to answer, because I think it's more to your question is what is electromagnetic radiation? And that's this basically as far as physics and physicists have studied, it's like a field at perpendicular angles. So there's like an electric, a magnetic wave and an electric wave traveling in parallel to one another. And it's an expression of the basic force of the electromagnetic force, which is one of the four basic forces. There's the strong nuclear force, weak nuclear force, the electromagnetic force and gravity. And scientists are trying to figure out how to unify them all, but they haven't quite figured that out yet. So that's light. It's, it's energy. And then there's another layer to it where for a long time, people ask like, is light a wave or a particle? Like, and then they did this experiment, the quantum physicists called the double slit experiment, and they beamed particle or light, basically, they beamed light from a source. And then they put it through two particles. And when they looked, the light came through these two slits. And when they looked at the the sort of screen behind where the light finally landed, it was like an, there was an alternating pattern. So the light basically came in pieces. And it basically led them to believe that light was a particle 
essentially. And, but it's also like a wave that's interfering. It's kind of complicated because it is complicated, but that's really the basics of light. And the, the truest answer to the question is I'm still learning and uncovering what light is at the core. I yeah. think the best answers are coming from people who are truly like enlightened yogi masters, but that's my, my go at it to start. I love that go. And I think what's interesting with light or a potential reframe of light mm -hmm. is to actually start to perceive it as a, a physical thing. Like we think of if you go to subway, you get a 12 inch hoagie or whatever, you're like, ah, I have physical energy in my hand. You know, I eat it. Like that was a physical thing that brought me energy, but the, 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 the materialistic lens of light, it's like, it's actually these particles, you know, photons that are vibrating at a certain frequency and then they I, mean, I don't know what i'm talking about but i'm, I'm taking a shot now and go. then they're they're interacting with our cells and it essentially modulates and signals the way that we produce ourselves at a, at a physiological mental emotional level and then maybe may other levels too but that relationship between one going outside and just having a reframe of like wow like i'm actually i'm like I'm, I'm bathing in, in light. I'm sunbathing. Like I'm swimming in a pool. That's water. I'm splashing through water. You know, to so start to have that reframe of, okay, this is this physical substance that modulates the way that I think and the way that I feel and the way that I produce myself, you know, hormonally and all of the things. Mm -hmm. So just that reframe, I think is very, it, it was interesting for me at least. I agree 100%. In fact, I would even take that same thinking a step further. Something that I've been considering is this, this idea that we're beings of light at the core. And at least for me, I can only speak from my own perception. I always thought and believe that we're these material beings. We're made of matter, right? Like when I touch myself here and, you know, it's like I feel solid, right? There's something solid. And so we're taught based on basically standard science that we are material beings and we're living in a material world. You know, this wall is solid, this table solid, my computer is solid, you're solid, I'm solid, and so on. But what's really interesting, there's a, a really cool physicist named Richard Feynman. He's very, very famous in, in the world of physics. You've probably heard of him. And he was asked one time during an interview, like if somebody could explain what, what is the magnetic force? And he basically gave the most beautiful explanation. He said, like, you know, any, any, almost any explanation he gives of the magnetic force, he is, uh, he'd be cheating the listener because he can't explain it in terms of anything they're familiar with. If he said that it's like a rubber band, you know, you expand a rubber band, it pulls back together, he'd be cheating you because ultimately the, the magnetic force is what's causing the rubber band. So he's, using something he says he's cheated very badly because he's used something to try to explain it that still hasn't explained it but the point of saying this is that in that explanation it's a great uh youtube video people can find it just richard Feynman and you know best video or lecture or whatever he, he, you'll find it um he, he explains when you sit on a chair or you, or you you know try to put your hand through a table like the reason we can't isn't because the table is solid but it's just because it's it's electromagnetic repulsion. In other words, what I'm trying to say is we think of material things as like solid, but it's actually still all frequency and the vast majority of it is empty space. And so the reason we can't put our hands through tables and, and through walls and walk through walls and so on is because there's just a repulsion, electromagnetic repulsion. So what I'm getting at with that in the same way, we're also majority just empty space with a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of 
what they call matter, which is like super highly condensed energy. What I'm getting at is that we're actually like beings of light. So in the same way that you can think of light out there as like actual substance, as something that isn't just there, but it's a substance. Like imagine our, imagine like you're walking around and you're literally just like, like just a being of light, like a, like a God, basically, like what you would imagine, like something floating through, through space. And, and that's actually kind of what we are like, yeah, we feel held down to the earth through gravity and there is something there, but we are these beings of energy and frequency. And the reason I started to think about this is because there's these like great spiritual masters who people have witnessed do miracles and, and levitate their bodies and walk through walls and walk on water and all kinds of stuff that like many people say that's impossible, but it's been witnessed many times. It's like, well, they, my theory, my thinking is that they just like mastered the understanding that we are just entered, that we're just light. And they basically became more and more and more light, like enlightened and less and less and less matter. Not that there's any, anything wrong with the material side of life, but uh, I find this to be a pretty interesting concept. I think both are equally valuable and we, and we presently are indoctrinated to live in a culture that uh, kind of is a bit like divorced of that other side, you know, like the, the, the spiritual side or, um, you know, how does Joe Dispenza calls it? He calls it like we're matter and then waves, I think, or yeah, particles and, and waves. Yeah. 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 So, so, so in Western culture, we're, we're very particle based, you know, I, I hold the hoagie. I can, I can count the macros. I can, you know, it's like, this is, this is it. This is the sandwich. <laughs> yeah. And then, but the interaction and kind of like, it gets into this, this, this kind of like almost metaphysical magic part where it's like, well, what actually happened? Do we even know how a muscle contracts? Like we have this story of myosin and actin and calcium ions and such, but like, it's all theoretical. You know, it's really, really funny. You bring up muscle contraction right now of all things you could bring up because what? like, it's just, it's hilarious. Well, because, um, there's a, a researcher out of it's, it's not hilarious. It's very serendipitous. I should say, because there's a researcher who I just interviewed for the light diet podcast. Actually, I'm going to have him on again and get more into this subject, particularly his name is Dr. Gerald Pollock. And he's really well known for writing the fourth phase of water. We just, we just had Gerald on like a month ago, that episode will come out in a couple of weeks. There you go. So it's perfect. So when I was interviewing him, I went back into his history a little bit and he said, he said the thing he was studying before, before water was actually muscle contraction. And what yeah. they understood is that there's no really good explanation. Like the standard explanation isn't quite sufficient to explain mm -hmm. all the energy demands of muscle contraction. And he's looking at totally reframing it and re-understanding it through basically alterations in water. Like, uh, when we're in our rested state, essentially, they've they've basically measured this based on what he was telling me, that when we're resting, our water is structured. And when we contract the muscle, all the water actually becomes temporarily unstructured for a period. There's there's a whole different energy dynamic going on behind there that that is related yeah. to this energy story. Anyway, yeah. it's, it's very so people, if people want to hear more about that, they go to your podcast or also go to my conversation with Jared Pollock, where we talk about that specific thing. There so you, you want to like <laughs> unpack into that world, yeah. go check out the Jared Pollock episode. Yeah. So within that, there is, it's just two sides of a coin and we happen to exist on a very particle matter side. If it's not measurable, you know, manageable, we can put it into a beaker, you know, we can have a statistic around it. It's kind of like, eh, I don't trust it. And then there is that whole other side where it gets into like, maybe you could say like, to use Joe Dispenza's language, like wave side or maybe spirit or maybe 
metaphysics or quantum or all of all the different words, which still probably are limiting because, you know, it's like an ineffable thing trying to be packaged into a word. But I think within that, there's they're, they're actually a lot more related than many of us would give of credit. And I don't think you necessarily need to know how the analogy that people have probably heard before, but you don't necessarily need to know like the inner workings of an iPhone in order to click on your app and get, you know, use Waze or Google Maps to get to where you want to go. So I don't know that we necessarily need to be profound, spiritual, enlightened yogis or physicists or anything to live a good life. And there's certain consistent patterns that we can see throughout, you know, our day to day that it's like, okay, consistently, it seems like you know, whether I have a spiritual relationship to the concept of light and raw and things of the sort, or I just like to go play soccer, you know, or football. And I just know that I feel really good and really connected when I do that. And I take my shoes off and I'm, you know, grounding, quote unquote grounding. I think that that's like for starters, if we just figure out that materialistic end, because we all kind of speak that language, I think from there that can in a roundabout way, open up into some of those other, you know, deeper, more esoteric parts. And perhaps it can go the other way where you're really deep and esoteric, you know, and then that suddenly that turns into you, you know, being a better athlete. But so I'd like to kind of dig into just the, the, the baseline materialist side of understanding, like how do we leverage um, light from a materialistic lens uh, yeah. to, to allow that to kind of like uh, take us into a place of maybe feeling more content and fulfilled and, you know, enlightened. You know, et cetera. So I guess, I guess within, within all that, the, the, the question is how does light relate to the human organism, um, from through the lens of, of health? Like yes. what's, how do we, how do we start to garner a, a healthy whole relationship with light and, and darkness? Super interesting question. Well, to start with the first part about how does light relate to the human organism, I'll say I first learned about light and how it affects health. This is not exactly answering, but I'll get there through just trying to get healthy with food only. So I was trying to do all these different diets and things as a kid when I was having really bad headaches and gut issues and allergies and acne breakouts and the whole thing. And then I came across this guy, Dr. Cruz, who you've met and you're familiar with, and who's really just geeking out on all the light research and someone who I consider to be a serious genius. And he put together all this, uh, these ideas and research. And I started to learn more and more about light and go out and find the researchers and, and read their books and then try to meet with some of them about light. And I just thought this was interesting. And the more I learned, the more it just kind of blew my mind a little bit more. I was really shocked. And at some point it just became pretty obvious, like, well, wait a minute you know, Isaac Newton basically said that based on his, his research in physics, that in order for anything to move in nature requires a force. So we have all this matter, this like, you know, material, dirt and sand and water and and anything else. And it's inorganic matter on earth, rocks and whatnot, and, and minerals and so on. And then, but life, if you look at life, we're composed of all that stuff, carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, you know, the whole, a bunch of stuff. And and yet we're very like active and moving, right? Like even when we're at perfect stillness, hundreds of trillions of reactions are occurring in every part of our body all the time. Like it's like a hundred thousand biochemical reactions per cell per second. 
more or less they estimate. And so there's a lot of energy, a lot of movement going on. And according to Newton, that means there's got to be energy to be fueling the movement. And, and so then the question is, well, where is that energy coming from? And it's pretty easy to understand once you start thinking about light, like, well, it's the sun. It's the stuff that they're, we learn when we're young that the sun feeds the flowers and the plants and they grow and we eat the plants or the animal eats the plants, we eat the animal. But the thing that that, that hit me that I, I had no idea about was that light also affects us directly. So like not just through the consumption of food, but because we evolved for so long outdoors, light actually has a pretty profound impact on a lot of different functions in our body. Uh, so it, it improves the energy production in our cells, or I should say, it just it makes it normalized. And if we don't get light, then we have a dysfunction or less energy production. It sets our body's natural circadian rhythm. So our rhythm follows the change of light throughout the day so that we can be ready to be active and awake when we need to do that for survival and for foraging and hunting and so on. And then we can rest and repair when the sun's gone and, and our thing, you know, prey, uh, are asleep or, uh, or it's just the best time for us to be repairing. So that's kind of like how life and light relate. It's a pretty deep, like to, to go to the deepest level, like the whole conversation we're having, the, our ex very existence is predicated on light, especially from the sun. So that's kind of the basis, but then how can somebody actually be using it? Like the cool part about it that I really appreciate is it doesn't have to be super complicated. So whether someone's like you're saying a physicist, a yogi, or just a regular guy who likes to play soccer, like it's pretty similar. And I love soccer, by the way, it's like my favorite sport to watch and play. So I'm glad you, you brought that up. I've been geeking out on, uh, I've been loving watching the premier league because I'm in Europe. The time zone's easy. A friend of mine plays for one of the premier league teams. So it's been awesome. So anyhow, just getting out of our more modernized materialistic world, as you sort of referred to, and getting back more connected to nature. It sounds like a cliche, but so what does that look like as far as light goes? Well, I have this protocol I call the light diet. It's like my Instagram handle. It's sort of like my, my pseudonym, let's say the light diet. I have people who just call me the light diet as a joke and, uh, or, or maybe totally seriously. And so the light diet protocol is something I've written a blog post about. There's about eight steps or so, depending on how you look at it. But the most important pieces are getting out in the morning and getting some sunlight early in the morning as it's rising. I try to watch the sunrise every day or at least go out and get morning light for 10 to 15 minutes. And this gets all of our hormones going and everything in our body going. And then the converse of that is trying to get watch the sunset or at least go out later in the day, ideally in the evening and just Get, again, 10, 15 minutes, just observe dusk as the sun is going down or sunset. And that, that helps the body's rhythm get in sync with the environment so that our production of hormones and everything is synced with the outer environment. And there's actually studies, I see them all the time, people send them to me and they come up in, you know, on the internet and in the, in the papers and so on, showing that uh, there, there's a serious risk, like there's a serious health effect of people sleeping in constantly. Basically, this one article mm. was something like there is a price to being a night owl, you know, staying up super late, sleeping in, and it's not our body's natural state, even though some people uh, are convinced that there's like genetic predispositions. I'm not, I don't really believe that because people are so flexible and night yeah. owls can become morning people and morning people can become night owls. All that's to say that the theory in this paper was that the reason the night owls suffer the health consequences is because they're waking up late and they're missing those early morning hours of light, which have a lot of really beneficial effects. So 
those two things, sunrise, sunset, and then in the middle of the day. So I work with a, one of the top light researchers, photobiologists, they're called for product development for raw. And uh, we're working on some really cool stuff. But one of the things he's told me is for those people who are really concerned about like skin cancer or wrinkles or whatever, like just make it really simple for them. Just tell them if you want, if you're really worried about that, which I'm personally not based on what I've learned, you don't want to overdose OD on the sun, but you can get a good amount. You just don't want to burn. Right. But for people who are really concerned, nor do you want to overdose on water. And, yeah, exactly. You know, right? kind of throw off your, your sodium levels and get hypernatremia and die. Yeah, exactly. You can exactly. Or oxygen, you can hyperoxygenate, or right? Any, anything. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. So, um, so that's, that's the idea there. And for those people who are really concerned though, because there are the people who, who are concerned about this, it, he, he recommended this expert go out in the middle of the day when the sun's the strongest, but just for a shorter amount of time, because that's when the vitamin D production is going to be the highest when the sun's up at the, the peak in the sky. And you could even get like, depending on skin tone, it really varies, but 10, 15 minutes of sunbathing midday on each side of the body. And that could be more than enough. Now in the middle of the summer for and, yes. and physically speaking, the the light, if you if we were to look at it, I wonder if it would be fair to relate it to almost like being like, like a nutrient in a way. And just like when you're eating different nutrients, I mean, nutrients probably are, are frequencies in, in their own yeah, right. Yeah, they are, for sure. Um, so with light, if we were to relate it to being a nutrient, just for sake of analogy, throughout the day, you're getting different frequencies of light. Right, so in the morning you're getting these these long wave frequencies that cause these different forms of biomodulation, you could say, and then the frequency starts getting tighter throughout the day. It starts moving faster, and then it starts to get longer again. So I think that's an interesting thing to be like, oh no, this is it's like different nutrients in a in a way, which might not be a fair analogy. Again, I don't know what I'm talking about. Actually, no, you do. It's a great analogy. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so that's something you're going out in the middle of the day. I'm just trying to have like a physical kind of materialistic, like, okay, what am I getting from yeah. this? Like, what's this relationship? Like, what actually is it? Yeah, it's a great. It's a great way. Exactly. I mean, so the different, like the sun has the different wavelengths uh, or colors, we call them when we see them. And the different wavelengths of color are, you know, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet. And then before the red, you have infrared. And after violet, there's ultraviolet. And then you go beyond violet, you get into x-rays and before the infrared, you have the radio waves and microwaves that our phones use and Wi-Fi and, and, all, and radar and all that stuff. And so, uh, as the, yeah, it's it, almost exactly as you said, actually, when the sun's coming up, it's more red light. So it's a slower frequency, longer wavelength light for the most part That's uh, has more, mm, let's say, a we could call it a healing function and mm, in a way a activating function and so on. And so that's really good light again, morning and evening in the middle of the day, ultraviolet light has very high power for doing things like making vitamin D. And so, yeah, it's really just, it's like taking different nutrients in different times of the day. And, and you're, you're, I have, I have yeah. one more analogy. I apologize for being I love so your analogies. This, no, but, but I think, I think within this, cause I'm just trying to grasp all of these things. So I wonder if, you know, I hopefully it. it could be support to someone. But I think in a, in a similar way, another analogy, you'd be thinking of it as like sound because people understand sound, you know, so if, if someone is speaking to you in a low, slow paced language, 
it causes you to feel a certain way. If someone starts talking really fast and they get a little bit higher, it, it causes you to feel certain. If you listen to like a didgeridoo, it's bowl or a sound bowl. It, it induces a certain like physical sensation compared to like electric guitar really fast. It causes you to feel a certain way. And so I, I wonder within that, like that, that low or, or long wavelength light, like low solar angle reds, oranges, all that stuff. If it is, if that is a, another fair analogy of it's almost kind of like, we're like, we're beings of frequency, whether it's sound, whether it's light, whether it's whatever, these long waves pretty consistently cause a certain sensation. And it's kind of like, oh, wow. Yeah. And then that higher frequency causes like, okay, let's go. And I wonder if that's a fair analogy. I'll, I'll, I'll shut up with my unnecessary analogies now. Please don't, don't hold back. Okay. I, I would say it, to me, it, it is a very fair analogy. Um, I'm going to connect you with, uh, with Dr. Alexander, who I'm, who I'm working with, and you should do a podcast with him. He's been on some of the big podcasts in the space, but uh, I think you, you would, especially with the analogies of sound and stuff, you could have an extremely robust conversation getting into the, the very nitty gritty details, which is, you know, his wheelhouse. And I think that would be amazing. So, so for the time being here, um, I, I say that's a very fair analogy. I mean, functionally, one of the things that it's really interesting is when you look at a cell, the, the cell is actually organized by the rainbow. So the longer wavelengths of light, the reds and infrared are affecting the water and mitochondria, which make up the majority of the outer portion of the cell. And as you go inward, the the wavelengths of light that basically are, let's say, related to the different components follow the color of the rainbow. So red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet. And the cell is actually organized like a reverse rainbow from violet in the middle all the way out to red. And so it's it, it's it's like on every single level of of life and health and cellular biology light appears to be the organizing factor and a really cool way to to share this for a biochemical person or a, a really materialistic focusing person is is to share the the fact that there's as as we mentioned before 100,000 biochemical reactions happening in every cell every second. And without something to control all those reactions and keep it coordinated, I mean, think just like Amazon, like Amazon has to have really good software to manage all of it, to take a page from your book and go with the analogies. Like Amazon has to have really robust software to manage literally every single order, every single package, every cancellation and modification and customer support interaction and deliveries. And like, there's a lot of stuff going on at Amazon. And to think that every single human cell has more going on than Amazon, not to mention the entire organism, like a hundred thousand things happening every second. I mean, Amazon's probably about that level of complexity, maybe a little bit more, but that's one human cell. And we have like 50 to a hundred trillion cells. So there has to be coordination. And the only force that anyone's aware of that has the capability of, of coordinating that is light. Cause there's so many different frequencies, which are capable of controlling and modulating different reactions in the cell. So it's a really interesting, um, it's a really, really interesting concept. And, and one other thing I'll share that I've been, I've been learning about recently, and I, I, I'm still, let's say, developing my understanding of this, because it's a very complicated, it's, it's, I shouldn't say complicated, but it's a very 
profound insight. But so the sun, when you look at the sun, uh, it's spectral emission in the inside of the sun, it's generating a ton of, it's generating a ton of energy and light from this hydrogen fusion that's happening in the sun. And then on the outside, if you go from the sun in the middle, it's hydrogen and helium. But as you go further out, there's more of the uh, basically higher level atoms. So like iron and oxygen and, and metals and so on. And that's the outer layer of the sun. It's called a chromosphere. So the sun's putting out like we would call it a full spectrum. It's a continuous spectrum of light, all the wavelengths, the x-rays and the radio waves and microwaves. Now the earth's atmosphere filters out a large part of that. And that's how we're able to exist. Cause if the earth's atmosphere and its magnetic field didn't block out the x-rays and all that stuff, life would either not exist or look very different. The oceans would probably be vaporized and so on. But so earth has some protection, but it actually, it's interesting. The sun also has this layer called a chromosphere. And because every atom, like every atom absorbs certain wavelengths of light, the light that's passing from the sun through the chromosphere of the sun is absorbing all of the what's called like elemental wavelengths of light that are related to each of those atoms that are found. So the light that's actually reaching earth, if, if someone Google searches, they want to see a picture. It's really interesting. It's called the Fraunhofer lines. What I'm getting at with this is that as this expert was explaining it to me, life is actually kind of in a sense, complementing the light that's absorbed by that layer of the sun. So all that light is taken out and we are basically filling in all the gaps. And like if, if the sun's spectrum was continuous, completely continuous, the light coming to the earth, we wouldn't really have a, there wouldn't be a physical basis on which for us to exist. So it's a really interesting concept, but our existence is like deeply, deeply, deeply connected to the sun. I'm going to take a moment and share my absolute favorite quote unquote biohack. It's not a biohack at all. It's just something that makes you feel incredibly well. It is not that easy to do. That is cold water thermogenesis, i.e. cold plunging. Um, I have been doing this for consistently for the last six to seven or so years now. And uh, I'm a huge fan. Uh, it's something that I utilize for healing, uh, for repair, restoration. Uh, it's great for energy levels. It's helpful for or sleep. It's helpful just as an overall reset for your nervous system. Uh, it's great for metabolic function. It's great for actually converting your white fat into brown fat, which is more metabolically efficient. It is good stuff. And I think everybody ought to have themselves a cold plunge at their place. That is why I like Ice Barrel. Ice Barrel is great because it is affordable. For one thing, it's the most affordable cold plunge out there. Uh, it is vertical, which is fantastic as well. So I have it sitting on a pretty small porch at my place presently. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, it's beautiful. It's got a little step. You walk up into it. It looks like kind of like a classic barrel, except it's black. And uh, it is cool. I think you guys are going to dig it. You can get yourself $125 off your purchase. If you want to try it yourself, you just jump over to icebarrel.com slash align. Icebarrel spelled I-C-E-B-A-R-R-E-L.com slash align. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, 100% satisfaction. If you do not love this thing in your home, which I know that you will, uh, then you get your money back. No questions asked. Icebarrel.com slash align, $125 off your purchase.
my absolute favorite beverages for an afternoon pick-me-up. Really amazing for reducing stress, feeling calm, feeling at ease, uh, placing myself into a restorative state, also with clarity and energy. That is Organifi Green Juice. I drop a couple scoops of that into a blender, throw a couple ice cubes in there, blend it up. That is it. That is all. It tastes absolutely amazing. Love sharing it with friends. And uh, it's just a, a brilliant blend for a little energetic support in the afternoon. You can take it anytime, but I usually take it in the afternoon. Uh, so I highly recommend this stuff. If you want to get yourself a 20% discount, then you can jump over to Organifi.com slash align. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash align. 20% is a fantastic discount. Uh, they have a 100% money back guarantee if you're not completely beyond satisfied with the product. I am completely confident you guys are going to really dig Organifi Green Juice. It is a fantastic way to cover your bases from a vitamin, mineral, and antioxidant perspective. So jump over to Organifi.com slash line for 20% off. How do we leverage light as a healing um, tool? And it's an interesting idea of thinking of, of light as like, I heard this from uh, this analogy from Huberman. Um, suggest it's like the most intelligent scalpel in existence and its capacity to be able to penetrate and go through different cells, but without necessarily killing anything, but maybe, maybe kill things if that's, you know, the intention is unlike any technology that we have in our like materialistic actual, you know, developing a physical tool world. So like, how does light interact with our skin, with our organs, with our eyes, um, you know, how do we start to, to really be able to wield light as a, as a, a healing, healing mechanism? So I have a book, actually, I had this, I thought you'd ask a question like this. This book's called let there be light. And it's, it's a book about, it's called subtitle practical manual for spectrochrome therapy. So it's very interesting. I'd love, I'd love to talk about this a little bit, cause it's the, probably the best way to answer a question that exists at the moment. Uh, there's a guy named Dinshaw, Dar- uh, yeah, Dinshaw was just his the, the name he went by. His last name was Long, so nobody called him by his last name. So Dinshaw, this man, was a I believe he was Indian, either born in India or born in the states to Indian parents. But anyway, yeah, he was Indian actually, and he created this amazing among many other things. He was sort of a Renaissance man, but he understood from his life experiences and research that light has this profound effect on the body and created this system called spectrochrome. And basically he found the purest essence of each color, like the, you know, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet, like the exact color that really represented that. And there's actually a few other colors in their system, but they found that every single color has really different effects on the body. Like for example, the, the color lemon, which is like a, green yellow has a really stimulating effect and blue has a very calming effect and red has a very energizing effect that these colors can have huge physiological impacts. And so they created all these devices to use color specifically to treat people and treat patients. And the results that they got were unbelievable. And the FDA like basically shut them down. Like they, they uh, had they would sue them. They blocked all mail from going to their address. It sounds like a bit of a crazy conspiracy theory type thing, but they weren't allowed to practice the system. And, and 
I couldn't say exactly why, other than that they were must have been threatening some, you know, some standing agenda or something like that. Uh, you know, to not get too much into the detail, like a conspiracy. But, but anyhow, this spectrochrome system, basically colored light therapy, had massive, massive healing effects for people. And so that's, that's just kind of a background for anyone who wants to look into that. But essentially, like every organ, even according to Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine, every organ has certain colors that, that are associated with it. And you can use different colors to basically stimulate certain things or, you know, do the opposite of stimulating, like calm certain parts of the body. And one thing that I thought was fascinating was as I learned a bit more about this color therapy, the amount of light that's needed isn't ne doesn't have to be super intense like the bright red light therapy that you have in front of you. Like the amount can actually be very minimal. And it's interesting, it isn't so much about the power, but it's that light carries like information. So different colors basically provide information. And, and to really just sum this, this whole idea up, it's like our, our aura, our, let's say the, the energy field that is purported to exist around our body and it's actually been measured. Like our heart has a field they measured at the HeartMath Institute many times and so on. Like this aura actually is full of, it's rich with information and in a way color. And we can use color to treat deficiencies. And this goes back to what you're saying earlier, like about nutrients and how nutrients are kind of like light wavelengths and vice versa. And, and Dr. Huberman's color is just our way of describing frequency. Yeah, precisely. So when I say color. It's not like just color. It's like color. You could just say frequency or not. Not. I mean, you say whatever you want, but in general, just like it's like it's just there's different waves, different distances between the waves the arcs of the waves. And then we see that as like, ah, like purple, you know, is also frequency. Yeah, it's exactly. That's just our perception. So many people relate more when you say colors, but it's the same thing frequencies. And so it's actually the fact that the, the people can treat themselves with colors that pay, uh, doctors have done it. So that's something that I'm looking to bring back with raw, you know, with my company, we're looking to really bring light and color therapy to, to people. And we're working on some really interesting things for this, but, uh, I didn't exactly give away, like I didn't share how people can do it. Cause I'm still going through the process of learning this, this, this particular system is something that I, I hope can be revived because it's healed so many different things. But to your, just one, th one more thing here is about nutrients and wavelengths. It's super interesting to consider it. And this blew my mind once again, that every single nutrient, iron, magnesium, all these things, there are some people who actually believe that these just essentially, they're just another frequency, right? Like with the idea that matter is just really slowed down energy, all these different nutrients we need in our body, they're essentially just carrying a frequency or carrying a certain type of energy, so to speak. And the idea behind a lot of light and color therapy is that if you get the, if you can get the light wavelengths that correspond to that particular molecule, you can have the effect without the molecule. Cause it's just light. It's the energy that's ultimately stimulating the desired process in the body. And to me, I was thinking that's a really, really interesting idea, but I can add, cause it doesn't have to be one or the other. There's tons of evidence now. And it's, it's interesting that you mentioned you know, or that you're using methylene blue. It's kind of fitting for the conversation that if you combine red light therapy and methylene blue, that the effects can be massively, massively 
greater, like five, 10 times or more stronger. So it's, so it's people, people listening, I have this thing called methylene blue in my mouth. So my, my tongue is blue. <laughs> what the hell is what the hell is methylene blue since since you brought it up what is it uh actually it's a, you know it's funny i don't know a ton about methylene blue but uh based on the what i what i do know it's it's a, it affects the mitochondria so it's like a mitochondrial enhancer it's very similar to caffeine in certain respects but as the proponents of methylene blue might argue without the much stronger and without a lot of the negative effects of, of caffeine so essentially increase cognitive function and so on. So that's why Aaron, Aaron's super sharp. This company, super, yeah, super sharp. This company Troscriptions, which I don't have. Actually, we might have an affiliate for them. But anyway, so it's, that's just that's the stuff that's in my mouth right now. Methylene. Yeah, yeah. Those guys are great, Troscriptions. Yeah. Well, so within that, what about like photobiomodulation and using lasers and red lights and different things to uh, support with wound healing, to support with maybe like skin conditions, uh, and also to support with the facilitation of, of mitochondrial function. You know, so that's, that's, I think something that I'm interested in understanding, like how do we start to leverage different frequencies of light to stir our cells up in a certain way to make us heal faster, feel better. There's huge amounts of, uh, evidence that red light therapy is very beneficial. Red light is the frequency that's largely associated with our mitochondria with energy production. And so it, it, it makes sense that because our cells require energy to function and we're energy dependent organisms, if you focus on the frequencies that really turbocharge our cellular engines, you're going to get a big result. So, you know, people could do use green light and do green light therapy and blue light therapy as much, even though I make blue light protection products, there's actually a place where you could use blue light for an advantage, like in the morning and so on, or for certain calming effects, depending on the, the amount, the intensity of the light. So anyhow, red light therapy has gained huge focus because of exactly what you said, this photobiomodulation. Photobiomodulation itself literally means like photo is light, bio is life, and modulation is affecting. So technically speaking, at the purest definition, photobiomodulation is anything that any way you're affecting life with light, which is literally as simple as me looking at this computer screen is affecting my physiology, but I'm not wearing my blue light protection glasses right now because I got a great open door and full spectrum light coming in. But anything we're basically doing is photobiomodulation if you get to the purest definition. But they've taken it and said the red wavelengths, specifically certain wavelengths, are photobiomodulating wavelengths because they have such a profound impact. So essentially, how can people use it? Like the first thing is go out, just go sunbathe as we discussed, like get some time in the sun, get out and watch sunrise, watch sunset. This is going to have a photobiomodulation effect. The sun is setting up. And, and do you want to get different increments of the day or is there some, because the commonly held belief since, I don't know when, my guess is maybe the seventies or something like that, probably whenever like sunblock started becoming mm -hmm. commercialized, which I don't know the, the year of that. You, I bet you probably do. It's like the twenties and thirties, actually, it started getting, it started getting like demonized in the, the late twenties and early thirties. They were like, no, sun's bad. I, I figured you would have a thorough response to that. And I'd love to get into your yeah, um, perspective from a scientific lens of um, when did the, and this is a new tangent. So hopefully you can hold, hold both, but yeah. that's something interesting, interesting as well. I think is like, what is the origination of the villainization 
of Sun. And the question that I had is, is there value in garnering the effects of all of the different frequencies of light that are being emitted throughout the, the span of a day? Or is the suggested suggested uh, wisdom of only be outside between you know 8 a.m. or 7 a.m. to like 11 and then get the heck inside and then go back outside after four or whatever they suggest? Is there something to that? So I think that would be that I think that's a very interesting place to go. Yeah, absolutely. This is a great way to like reiterate the kind of core point from earlier about the times that people can get out and get the most benefit. Like for the photobiomodulation to to wrap that up, people can get out at sunrise and sunset and they'll get mostly red red and infrared light, which is having this really healing, really in a positive way, positive stimulation effect on the cells and it is improving you know, cellular function, energy production, and so on and so forth. Both sunrise and sunset will have a larger percentage of this light. But that that light, infrared and red, is present all day. But then you get a lot more, particularly blue, violet, ultraviolet, green, and the other colors as the day goes on. Uh, it's really, they're all there pretty much all day. It's just in different proportions. Although at the last mm-hmm. moments before sunset, there's almost no, no blue light. Anyhow, that's about photobiomodulation, like sunrise so the first, the, I, I messed you up and I asked you two questions at the same time, which is oh, terrible etiquette on my part. But the first thing, is there value in getting out and saying, cool, I want to get a little 11 a.m. light. I want to get a little noon light. I want to get a little one light. Or is there some time that's like, eh, you really don't want to be out that that time? Or like, is there a better or worse? Or is it all just different frequencies that provide different forms of biomodulation? Mm, I would say it's not it's there's not not better or worse definitely not um it's just if someone wants the minimum effective dose then i would say like sunrise sunset and midday so like basically three sessions per day let's say but uh no if someone wanted to go outside like every hour and get a few minutes ultimately what's happening is they're setting their body's circadian rhythm so their brain and their hormones can know, okay, like if you're in an office and you can get out every hour or every hour and a half or two, that's great to keep your body awake and your hormones cranking. That's a big effect of light. They're also providing their cells with this really beneficial energy that they're not going to be getting as much of if they're indoors or oftentimes virtually none, depending on the windows and the lighting that's present. So there's not really going to be a drawback. But again, a great question that, that comes to my mind here is just when is it too much, right? And th- the best answer, I mean, I-, I wish I could give like a really detailed scientific answer, but like there's really no way to do it with all the different types of people out there. Like the body has these mechanisms that tell you when you're hot, like just with eating, like when you eat too much, the body's like stop, you know, and, and food that one moment was like the most attractive thing. Like you could have, I mean, theoretically, uh, and this is something I'm, I'm always learning because I love food, but sometimes, you know, you have to regulate and listen to your body, right? And I'm learning about that every day. But when it comes to light, the body says at a certain point, like it's enough. The analogy bringing, I want to bring in with food is like you could have the most amazing cheesecake or steak or, or salad or soup or whatever you like, like the thing that you just wanted to eat for years but if, you, if it comes to you when you're literally full and you're not hungry, it has zero interest, right? So our body has pretty similar mechanisms for sun. Like I know when I got enough sun, I'm like, all right, I'm good. Like I start feeling, well, really good first of all, 
uh, warm inside, almost tingly sometimes, like crisp. I can feel my skin getting like slightly crispy or often that comes with salty. When I'm swimming in the ocean, I get like a salt crisp in a way. And I can feel like, okay, I got enough. Like I don't want to be burning. I don't want to be turning you know, pink. And I've, I've overdone sun for many years. And so I've learned that there is a, a threshold and you shouldn't overdo it. So anyhow, getting out, I think is great any time of the day, but burning and overdoing it or overheating, that's what people want to avoid. They don't want to force themselves to stay out. Is there scientific evidence that could provide or reassure people that they can begin to retrust their intuition around sun exposure? Yeah, great. Um, there's a really great paper that was published, I kind of go back to this one a lot because it was so telling, it was something like 515 Swedish women studied for several decades. And the, the study was basically looking at all the factors in their life to understood what is contributing to health and then to disease. And they're looking particularly at all cause mortality. So death from any disease or any cause. And the women who avoided the sun had significantly like more than double the risk of dying from all diseases compared to the women who actively sought out the sun. So it's like a really interesting thing where we have people uh, in, in the United States and around the world trying to encourage young women and, and people in general that sun is bad, it's going to make you ugly, you're going to get wrinkles, you need to wear SPF like sun, you know, sun protection factor and, and, and sunscreen. There's this big narrative. But actually the, the evidence, really good data, and that's just one paper. There's several others like that, although that's one of the best showing this, but the people who avoid the sun have a higher risk of death from all diseases. So it's another good question that comes up is like vanity versus health, right? Like if you get too much sun, you, you, you can cause this photo aging on your skin. Although I believe that has more to do with your diet, your lifestyle, and people who overdo it on the sun. But like many people say, oh, I need to avoid the sun entirely because I want my skin to look good my whole life. But like the thing is, and, and, and I think you could kind of naturally get this intuitively, uh, and most people do, when someone's tan, they have a nice tan, they look healthy, they're attractive. Even if their skin isn't perfect, like you just look good, nice tan, right? Versus someone who's really pale and sickly, like not only do you see it, but you can feel it from their energy field. And then there's, there's ultimately a, a huge increased risk of death and disease. That's why I personally vote in, in the direction of like a little bit more sun versus like avoidance. It's also been shown in various different research to actually, um, you know, do all the things, increase sex hormones, actually increase size of, of testicles and, and ovaries from my understanding. Um, it just, it makes you increases libido, which obviously all that's tied together. If you have more testosterone, estrogen, and just like your sex parts are kind of like engorged in a way as a product of, of being out in the sun. That and explains that a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a, and then people are more sexually active in the summer time when there's, you know, when the, the days are longer, it's kind of sending the signal to the body that like, oh, like our cells are, are full, like we're charged, the battery is full, let's go out and expend some energy in the form of, of you know, mating, creating a child, creating yeah. an offspring, where it's compared to, oh, I feel actually uh, in scarcity, at a loss, at a deficit, I don't really know if it's appropriate to be procreating and like spreading my genetics, because I'm like, you know, I'm kind of losing as it is. 
And so sun has this interesting way of kind of filling up the, the, um, the buckets for people in a way. Totally does. It a hundred percent does. I want to make sure we get into your other part of the question. So you were talking about the different frequencies throughout the day, and then we wanted to get into the villainization of sun. Do you want to move that direction? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we can. And the, another question I actually have as well in relation to that, cause I think this is a, a very, um, just an important nuanced topic is, and then it, it goes into the villainization. Is there a difference between partial exposure to uh, sunlight via the reduction of UVB light through windows and like your, you know, uh, through sunblock? You know, is there is there like, are you better off just getting the real thing or nothing at all? Or is it okay to be exposed to sunlight through a window where it has some type of like UVB protecting mechanism in there? I don't know how that works exactly. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so you're getting this like partial spectrum. And I, I, my, my intuition and sense is like probably not. Um, mm -hmm. But I'd be curious your your lens on that. Yeah, probably not. I agree. Um, I, based on my own in intuitive sense, it was always not ideal. Uh, but then learning about the evidence and the research. So what happens, it depends on the kind of window, but I actually measure it with my spectrometer. Usually they don't just cut out the ultraviolet. They cut out majority of the infrared light, which is more uh, healing, stimulative, in a way, part of the light. And so the, the blue light uh, becomes significantly increased in its in its uh, proportion and so that is high energy uh it can be oxidizing it's more inclined to create damage because it's a, a shorter wavelength higher frequency it, it has more energy essentially per photon and mm -hmm. and so again that light's not bad in some doses like sunbathing and in moderated doses but in excess uh, and especially when you're out sunbathing, you're always getting, if you're getting a ton of blue light, you're getting a ton more of infrared light. Even in the middle of the day when there's tons of ultraviolet, you're getting a lot of bounce. So going behind a window, you're throwing off that balance. And so what actually is reported, and then you're still getting a lot of uh, ultraviolet A a lot of the time, which can cause aging and, and skin cancer and these kinds of things in excess. And so point being that there are people who, you know, are like truckers. You can see pictures of this where the side of their face that was exposed to the light coming through the window is like super aged and their skin looks terrible like leather. And that isn't the sun. That's basically toxified sunlight. So yeah, your, your gut intuition is totally right. I would never sunbathe through a window unless, unless I knew it was like a full special full spectrum transmitting glass or plastic, which doesn't really exist, but that's something I'm also interested in bringing to market, um, you know, at, at the right time on the world. There's some famous scientist that has a rule around like you, you can't outsmart biology. And I think that that's like, like for the most part, you, if you come back to like, okay, like how does this human cellular situation, how has it worked out for the last millennia? Uh, it probably wasn't being behind some type of new scientific innovation of like blocking out certain spectrums of light because we villainize them and like now this is better typically i, I think that that's like it, it ends up leading to new issues that we didn't even you know have before yeah and so i think within that i think it comes to a similar thing it's like my sense is it's either like get full spectrum light or don't if you have if you're if you've come to a point where you feel that like tingy sensation or you feel maybe starting to feel a little tired or you're starting to feel like you know red hot anything just like you drank too much water 
you know exactly when you had too much water, you know exactly when you had too much food, any of that. Like we have that same system with light. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, and, and, and then and it gets funny, I think, when we do start, okay, we're gonna modulate this situation, we're gonna block out these certain frequencies or this ultra violet or you know whatever it is we're gonna we're gonna kind of start to tweak it now we're in a whole new game you know it's almost like getting like a like orthopedic surgery it's like the body we kind of understand what the body does once we have metal you know whatever material parts in there it's not a bad game per se but it's a different game and i think that there's a similar analogy with like the trucker whose face looks like it's been melted off it's like that's not just sun that's human technologically augmented frequencies of light yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Should we get into the how the heck the villainization of light manifested? And that's not to discredit things like, you know, skin cancers and and the various different conditions that could come as a product of probably lots of things. I think diet is a, a massive conversation around that. There's probably perspective that's involved in there as well. Some psychosomatic components. There's probably, you know, a, a, a bioelectric component around grounding would be my guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just exclusively frequencies of light existing in a vacuum. There's a lot of conversations there. But do you think it's appropriate to get into at what point did humanity become like have this weird suspicion around light? Yeah, it's so like 20s and 30s, uh, based on my research, the in the 20s in particular, there was a real big push, like let's say liberalization of of everything, of energy and sexual culture and so on. And after the first world war around there, and I'm not exactly sure why that was the case, but so people were like getting out more like, you know, in more, uh, let's say exposing types of bikinis and things that people typically weren't wearing before. And there was just this kind of liveliness around sunlight, lots of pop culture and, you know, newsreels and cartoons and things I've seen that kind of portrayed the glorious life of being by the beach for during that time period. The roaring 20s. Yes, exactly. It was like a real, a real time that, that this was a big thing. It was seen as a very high level to be like 10. And if you were like, I've seen cartoons like sort of making fun of the pale person on the beach, you know, like mocking them. And it, and it was just this energy of, of, of getting out and getting light and being alive and that it was a good thing for health. And then there was, you know, skin cancer was a thing. It did exist. And they were trying to figure out why. And they basically pinned it on the easy culprit, the sun, but they were using ultraviolet light in very high doses on different experimental animals and almost like what would be considered like really inhumane experiments today and and these animals were developing cancers and so on from these isolated man-made light sources and therefore they pin that oh ultraviolet caused skin cancer therefore the sun has a lot of ultraviolet the sun must cause skin cancer and that was a really erroneous conclusion to jump to because the sun causes life on earth more than anything but that was what um they jumped to and so there began be, began this demonization and, and the production of uh, sunscreens, which ironically are much more linked to the production of cancer because they contain, especially the earlier sunscreens, compared to, to the body's own protection, which is melanin, uh, this natural pigment that absorbs ultraviolet light very effectively. These other chemicals, ultraviolet light's very strong. So when you put chemicals in it, just like if you have painting in a house, with you know or or a couch with certain types of windows older windows 
some of the ultraviolet light comes through and over time, the couch can fade, the colors can fade, the paintings can fade. So that's what ultraviolet does. It kind of breaks, it can break things down. Um, that's why our body has mechanisms to protect from it and utilize just small amounts of it for specific functions. So anyhow, ultraviolet light, uh, it does do this, uh, in excess. So ultraviolet light, probably a really good idea to protect non biological materials. Because yes. bi biology actually runs on stress, like that. That turns the that turns the battery. Where like we, humans are kind of like those like those wind up batteries or wind up flashlights. So like what allows us to 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 go and circulate and and create energy actually is is stress to a certain degree. And then if you get too much stress, it becomes problematic. So that's kind of interesting. That's like there's like if it's if it's not a, a sentient being that actually gets. Um, what do we call like we're like anti-fragile in a way you know we actually we actually get stronger from stress uh so if it's if you have some lawn chairs or something like that then having that protection actually would be really good for them but humans are not lawn chairs yes and and it's interesting so the chemical sunscreens that were first developed actually became highly oxidized so the molecules they try to use to protect from ultraviolet light people would bake it on take it on their skin and then that those chemicals will become oxidized, highly damaging free radicals that then are absorbing into the bloodstream. And that's still what sunscreens, chemical sunscreens are essentially today. However, they have a better absorption rate, but they're still essentially carcinogenic because they have chemicals that even if the chemicals prior to ultraviolet irradiation are not carcinogenic, afterwards they can be because what happens is the ultraviolet knocks those uh, molecules apart. It knocks off the electrons because it's high energy. And so then those are become, they're, they're called free radicals because they're looking to steal electrons to make up for what was knocked away by ultraviolet essentially. And they're absorbed into our bloodstream. That's why the sunscreen, you rub it in and it goes away. It's absorbing in. And so they're basically wreaking havoc in the body. So regular chemical sunscreens are a really bad idea. If I wear sunscreen when I'm surfing, for example, if I'm out and it's really hot, I'll wear first of all, like a t-shirt, let's say, or a rash guard, but I'll put on the zinc oxide, which is a mineral sunscreen, meaning it deflects the light, but it doesn't absorb into the blood. So I actually have to wipe it off after, you know how that is. That's kind of the, the history, how, how sun became in, in short, villainized, demonized. But if we look at the fact that since that occurred, like if have the question really is simple. It's have these measures decrease the rates of uh, skin cancer? And in fact, skin cancer rates have gone up orders of magnitude since the 20s and 30s. And it's not just because it's more commonly caught. Like medical, the medical system has been really good for the last few hundred years. I mean, certain things weren't at the level they are today. But if people died of a, a tumor growing, they would notice it. It just wasn't as common. It, it barely existed, actually. And so it's, it's grown. And same with cataracts. The idea is you got to wear sunglasses to protect your eyes from cataracts. Again, the more people have been wearing sunglasses, the higher we've had these rates of cataracts and eyesight damage and, and eye problems and people needing glasses as well. So it seems to be more likely that it has something to do with something else besides the sun. And there's a lot of factors there, but it could be artificial lighting, the advent of artificial light, obviously chemical pesticides in everybody's food supply, uh, con you know, increased stress, numerous uh, other factors. Again, my intuition suggests that there's definitely a really strong nutritional conversation around how our cells respond to sunlight. Uh, 
how does a person start to ingest their own sunblock through the way that they eat or perhaps ingest something that's ends up being more problematic for them and being less less um, equipped to be out in the sun like what's that what's what does it look like from a dietary perspective the going answer let's say seems to be more and more that the healthiest diet is one and this is very to be honest very controversial in the health and wellness world but from everything i'm learning a diet that's rich in fr uh, fresh fruits and vegetables can be something very healthy now that can be very controversial because the whole carnivore paleo diet not even just paleo but carnivore keto has become so popular to avoid all fruits all vegetables because they're toxins but again that's a whole separate conversation we could have in the cases of people who can't eat anything besides meat, their body, their immune system is totally dysfunctional, which has a lot to do with light. Uh, so anyhow, fresh fruits and vegetables, which is very high energy food, that would be a good start in some way. But you know, and then people can layer on that what they want. I would I would put that out as a general recommendation. I've obviously local, in season, organic, you know, chemical free. Like it's been studied when you eat a bunch of chemical pesticide based foods that actually comes out in people's urine and it's in their body and their blood. And then is there association of like glyphosate and different pesticides and such having some adverse relationship with the sun or do you know anything around that specifically or no? I'd love to look into that. But what's really interesting that you bring up part of what's so interesting when you bring that up is that from what I've studied, almost every toxin in the body is inhibiting the proper function of light in the cells. So like almost every toxin, like the reason it's a toxin is because it inhibits the cell's ability to properly utilize light. So that's just, I'll leave that there. Like glyphosate, according to things I've read from Dr. Jack Cruz years ago now, there is a deep mechanism of how glyphosate inhibits the proper function of light in the cells. And so, yes, there's definitely something to that. So avoiding all those chemicals that wouldn't be natural, right? And they're there to just GMOs to they're there to increase the crop, the, the size of the, 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 for example, wheat crop and, and pesticides are very toxic. Roundup is full of glyphosate, as you mentioned. So these would be the, the things to avoid as well as uh, seed oils is kind of the classic culprit like uh, soybean oil, rapeseed, also known as canola oil, uh, highly refined oils that come from plants or seeds, particularly where you probably couldn't get oil, even if you tried to squeeze it out, uh, with really good natural presses. Those are highly refined, often bleached, super high in chemicals. And those fatty acids integrate themselves into our cell membranes and also become really easily oxidized, creating issues in our skin, health issues as, as a result throughout the whole body. So yeah, avoiding seed oils and chemicals is a really great place to start. Um, there's the classic answers, like obviously avoiding excess sugar and that kind of thing, but I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself the diet, the food expert, although I'm constantly learning and looking forward to learning more. I'd like to take a moment and share a little bit about magnesium. If you're taking magnesium, there is a good chance you're flushing a good chunk of it down the toilet. I mean that literally you see the most common type of magnesium is actually used as a laxative. So if you're taking it, you're literally pooping and peeing it out, which means 80% of Americans who are magnesium deficient could actually be making their deficiency worse if they're taking the wrong type of magnesium. The worst part about magnesium deficiency is how it affects 
almost every aspect of our health. Your metabolism suffers, you can't lose weight, your blood pressure goes up, and on top of all that, or congruently with that, sleep will also be suffering. I have a solution that I'm very excited about, is referred to as Mag Breakthrough. It is my go-to magnesium supplement, and I highly recommend it to anyone. It's a full spectrum magnesium supplement with seven unique forms of magnesium that your body can actually absorb. And this month, they're including free bottles of their full line of digestive health products on select orders while supplies last. That means you're getting free products to try that will support your digestive system. Having an optimized digestive system means less energy trying to digest foods and absorbing more nutrients from the food you eat. This special offer is only available at magbreakthrough.com slash align podcast. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com slash align podcast. If you are not completely 100% satisfied with the Mag Breakthrough, then they offer you full 100% money back guarantee. No questions asked. You guys are going to love this stuff. It is my favorite magnesium supplement. I think you guys are going to dig it. Hope you enjoy magbreakthrough.com slash align podcast for 10% off. I'm going to take a moment and share something that I am oddly excited about. That is the discovery of a brand of hats referred to as Melon. You may have seen them circulating the internet. The reason that I like these hats so much, or I'm so grateful for the discovery of these hats, is they just fit incredibly well. They feel very comfortable on my head, uh, and also the materials are best in class. So you can feel the quality of everything. The rim, um, or the brim rather, the texture of the hat even like the buckle in the back like everything just feels nice they also are very easy to clean they're antimicrobial uh, they repel water they're floatable in case you're swimming down a river with one of them every detail of these hats I am absolutely emphatically confident I think is about as good as they could be and I think you guys are gonna really dig them and if you do not absolutely love your purchase of a melon hat you can get hundred percent money back guarantee so jump over to melon.com slash align and you use code align for 20% off that's m-e-l-i-n.com slash align use align code for 20% off um, highly recommend just going through the different styles of their hats i think you're going to dig them i'm a big hat guy you see all my videos on youtube and instagram and everything wear a lot of hats to find one that is something that fits really well you think it's cool you feel confident is a big deal i think you guys are going to dig it melon.com slash align m-e-l-i-n.com slash line 20 percent off yeah something else i find interesting is the the way that sun has an effect in the in the brain slash body to reduce sensitivity to pain and it causes your body to essentially tap into its own endogenous painkillers the forms of like beta endorphins and yeah uh, things of the sort and then how that coincides, perhaps coincides with the uh, epidemic of opiate addiction, exogenous opiate addiction. You know, and and that's something that I I, I kind of think about. I'm like, oh, interesting. Like, so you can you stir up the periaqueductal gray, and you get all this. This you know, you like you're turning your own internal pharm pharmacopoeia of drugs just through doing the things like doing what the body does you know historically speaking and now we're kind of we're being withdrawn from those you know ancestral 
patterns, which are very simple. It's just like go for a walk, you know, and you know, maybe squat up and down, have community. And there's, so that's kind of getting pushed aside a bit. And then reciprocally, whether it's connected or not, you know, I don't know. Uh, but we see this kind of skyrocketing in usage of exogenous opiates. I wonder if there's any kind of connection there from your perspective. I think you're spot on. I mean, I, there's honestly not much I could add to it because you make the point very well. Like the the sun does increase the production in the brain of pretty much every important hormone and neurotransmitter in, in a positive way and it inhibits things that are bad. So it, it has very positive impacts across the board. Yes, one of these being beta endorphin and, and yes, of course, like totally sun deficient, energy deficient society it's natural that people are going to reach for these kinds of drugs to supplement that. Obviously, there's emotional factors, right? Like I've learned uh, very personally that no matter how much sun I get and how much I'm, let's say, connected to, I shouldn't say connected to the natural environment, but specifically just how much sunlight I've, I've gotten. Uh, if I'm still battling with emotional challenges and mental things that need to be unwound, there's still going to be a consequence in my health and my life and my experience of the world as a result of that. So I'm also, I've become you know, very interested in meditation and these kinds of things because there is undoubtedly to me a sort of inner light work that we also have to be doing. Uh, again, unwinding old traumas, patterns. And then we could say in a sense that this is like incoherence trapped or that we've kept trapped in our physiology and that we keep it for a variety of reasons. Maybe it feels safe, comfortable, familiar. You know, we don't know that there's anything else that's possible. So that to me is, is taking it, you know, one step further. And that's for maybe another conversation. But no, we can we can have it now. I just I just wanted to make sure in relation to the beginning of like the two sides of the coin. I, just, I, I like to start personally with the materialistic side and just like at least establish the foundation of like, okay, this is the shape of the four by fours, you know, and the yeah. texture of the cement that we're going to use to build the house. And then we can pour spirit into the house. But if we're all a bunch of spirit, then it's kind of like, well, where do we, where do we put all this stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Well, yeah, to me, I mean, that's, it's becoming more and more something that's interesting. I, I'm very passionate about it because I, as I mentioned to you, I believe when we were together several months back, I have been going to some of these week-long advanced retreats with Dr. Joe Dispenza, who's a big leading meditation expert. I know you're familiar with him, but many listeners may not be. And anyhow, it's been crazy. It blew my mind many times. Like There are many people at these events. I, I like to be very open-minded, but deep down, I'm a skeptic in many ways about certain things. And to see people healing from all sorts of diseases at these events live because they feel safe there's this environment that's created. There's lots of support staff and all kinds of stuff. Everybody's meditating over a thousand people together. There's a collective energy and collective consciousness and everybody's stepping out beyond themselves in their familiar territory in these deep meditation sessions. And people are having all sorts of crazy changes happen in their body. And certain people heal from certain diseases. Like they let go of some old belief. And I'm more than anything interested in that at this point, yeah. more and more. Because and, and, and also tying it back to all the years I've studied light and how it affects our physiology and understanding the interplay between the two. But more and more, I see that if I believe if somebody can just be so emotionally at peace, like so mentally uh, balanced and harmonious and not going through all the waves, 
that that person can enjoy pretty robust health. I would say almost regardless of their environment, not totally regardless, like, right, it's not going to help if somebody eats just McDonald's and it's not going to help if they just live under fluorescent lights all day. Like it's probably going to make it a lot harder, but that I, I think a, a large portion, I'll just put it this way of the, the, if you think of our body, like a, a battery, a tank, like you made this great point about sexual reproduction in the summer, like being stressed, it's been shown that stress cells leak more light and they emit less coherent light. Their light is less coherent, less organized in a positive fashion, let's say. Does leak leak more light mean like hold less bioelectric frequency? How do we materialize that? Sure. Yes. Like essentially the cells, they're not able to, if you imagine like life, let's just say if life's game is like capture energy, hold it and use it to do something. And like if somebody's cells can't keep that energy efficiently and keep it organized, there's a state of imbalance or disease that's occurring. So to, to basically wrap that up, it's, it's that constantly being stressed emotionally, physically, mentally, toxin, chemical stress, but let's say emotional being the one I'm focusing on here, that's going to lead, I believe, to potentially uh, more issues than anything else. And as I was referring to earlier, no amount of sunlight can undo the effects of that. So for me, I've been working as much as I can to learn how to balance my mental, mental, emotional state through really healthy daily lifestyle, utilizing light as a stimulative and relaxing factor, respectively, uh, you know, utilizing my the blue light blocking glasses that we make at raw optics to sleep better and relax in the evening, doing my best to eat a healthy diet, um, and, and then working on meditating and just breathing and trying to keep myself more balanced. Like one thing I've had a huge challenge with is, challenge with is overworking because for years I started my own business and I was just trying to grind, grind, grind. And I realized I put myself into a state of such hyper stress that no matter what I was doing for my healthy lifestyle, it wasn't counteracting the constant effect of elevated stress and constantly feeling like I wasn't doing enough. So for me, there's something really big to be said for looking at what those things are in one's own life. And, and, and I, I think to, again, just put a cherry on top here is that I really love the idea that like life is a gift and that life can be enjoyable and that it's actually meant to be enjoyable. Like it's something that we can enjoy and even great spiritual masters have, have concluded and just normal wise people have concluded that that's the purpose of life is to be happy. And I realized I always heard that as a cliche and thought, oh, that sounds cool. But deep down, and even to a certain degree still, my subconscious belief was that if I'm not suffering, if I'm not grinding, because this is a very societal thing, then I'm not worthy of being successful, of being happy, of, of feeling good and loved. And so the more I lean into that, like, let's say comfort of like, like it's okay to just be happy and be okay, like and be chill. And just instead of saying I need to go to my computer and work, just saying, you know what? Like, sorry to everybody who's needs something for me, but actually not sorry. Like, I'm gonna take care of myself and just read a book. Like it's funny, but for me, that's been a major shift in my thinking over like the last year or so, just letting myself relax, go play a soccer game, watch a soccer game, whatever. And I think that's really important. There's um a thing i don't actually know if this is true but i've heard that like chickens for example that are raised in like a dark pen 
and then they give them access to like open the door once a day for some amount of time and they can go and be like quote unquote free range and go outside. If you're exposed to the darkness and that's all you've been exposed to, that's what you like get to know, what you become accustomed to and comfortable with, then you actually kind of are like afraid or like, oh, like the light is too light. You know, and it's a similar, perhaps a similar thing when someone oh, gets, sure. if, if they get, um, you know, if you're not used to wearing shoes or not wearing shoes rather, and you go out and you're like hypersensitive to the sensation of, of the ground, similar thing happens with if you, if you get um, cochlear implants with your ears, you haven't been able to hear, suddenly you're able to hear and it's like, oh, it's like too much. Um, I wonder, this is, I mean, that's, that might be not actually the, a perfect analogy for what I'm about to say. Uh, but I, I think it's like growing accustomed to a a life where you are deserving of rest, you know, growing accustomed to a light where you are deserving of joy and you are deserving of meaningful relationships and a sensation of contentment. It's like, I, I don't know that we're really uh, bred with that operating system and, or, or, you know, a lot of Western culture perhaps is bred with the operating system of like, it's okay to feel fulfilled and whole without performing for the factory, you know, mm -hmm. or producing more widgets. And that that's a really sticky place when you start to wind things back and be like, oh man, interesting. Like, what did my school prepare me for? What did my parents' school prepare me for? And my teachers and all that stuff. Like I'm like, I'm baked into this, this certain operating system, which is largely based around production. And yeah. production is not bad. It's just one of the sides of the, of the coin. And then the other side of the coin is that place of like feeling fulfilled without, you know, doing, making money that day or making a widget or, you know, being like quote unquote successful or something of the sort. And then perhaps if you are able to find a deeper sensation of contentment, that's not based around production, uh, perhaps that naturally opens up the spaciousness to to produce as opposed to going from a place of like, okay, I'm just going to keep producing, 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 and just assume that will fulfill these deeper parts of myself. But I think for most people, it typically, you know, it doesn't. And then yeah. midlife crises and, you know, all the things. Amen. Yeah. I had my midlife crisis when I was like 22. <laughs> I was like, or 21. I was like, I need to change something. This is terrible, but I'm glad. I'm glad I did. I got into business early. So I'd say that to me, that sounds like a pretty nice way to kind of, let's say wrap up. However, I'm, I'm more than glad if you have any other closing questions you want to touch on, I'm more than glad to answer. Yeah, no. Um, well, I mean, I guess, I guess the, 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 the last direction I'd be interested in going is, um, most of this conversation has been biased towards lights. Awesome, you know, and it's been villainized and you know, all the, all these things. Um, I'm getting set up for it to do a, a darkness retreat in, in yeah. like a month or so, which is going to be a, a lot of darkness, uh, not a lot of light in that situation. Um, we are, darkness allows us to produce the correlating hormones for, to cause us to, to sleep and, you know, rest and digest and heal and repair and all that stuff. Um, what's the, 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 the dark side of too much light and particularly like, alternating current high frequency kind of blue light coming out of our light bulbs and the advent of that in 1870 whatever uh of edison creating the light bulb and changing history in the most ridiculous way like forever throughout our history 
after the sun goes down, it was just red, these, these long wave reds and oranges yeah. or whatever. And then 140 years ago, whatever it is, yeah. all of that changed. Like, what is, what is that? <laughs> yeah, it's such a, actually, I'm so glad you brought that up. Absolutely. Cause we didn't touch much on the artificial light side and darkness. That's so cool that you're doing a darkness retreat, to be honest. I I'd love to do that one day. I should say first about darkness that it's such an interesting concept. Like darkness is so, mm, it's so much, it's so necessary, right? Like it can't just always be light. The places where it's 24 hours of light, not a lot of people live there. A, because mm. it's cold, but B, because it's kind of psychologically crazy. And to have the constant darkness in the winter, it also can become a bit of an issue. But uh, how long's the retreat? Like a few days or a week? Yeah, five days. That's awesome. That is so cool. Yeah, that's that. I think that's amazing. Like, I wouldn't think that anyone's going to have any no, nobody's going to have any problems just from being in the darkness, especially for that time. Over a longer period of time, one could. But again, I go back to this thing about like the yogis and the meditation that there are people uh, who I've read about who like saints or masters or whatever you want to call them who don't go outside and don't get any sun and they're still robustly healthy. Um, like a, a monk, particular yogi who just meditates all the time inside and doesn't even sleep. It's just in this state of like ecstasy, like oneness with the universe or God. It's like cultivating inner inner light. Exactly. In way, yeah, and which so is beyond I, my my understanding of being able to explain. But I'm open to there being something there. Well, I mean, the the thing that would be interesting is when you go into the into the darkness and just seeing if you can continue to just meditate, relax, breathe, and, and, and focus on your, your pineal gland, like the point between the eyebrows or yeah, up there, just lift your, your focus up and just breathe and focus on that. Like in the Bible, there's even a verse, uh, that they sat in darkness and saw great light. And so these people were like living, you know, connected to this light or the spirit, whatever people want to call it, depending on their inclination. So darkness, I think of course is necessary and can be great. And that's why at night, all this artificial light is creating issues for us. There's tons of evidence to show that artificial light at night disrupts sleep, can disrupt health. Uh, ultimately, that and that's kind of my wheelhouse, having started the business to make blue light protection eyewear. Like simply put, blue light at night, it has the opposite effect of what it's supposed to. So during the day, it's supposed to wake us up and give us energy. It does the same thing, but at night, we need to be winding down to get our sleep and rest and repair. Blue light suppresses the production of melatonin in the brain, and melatonin is the most important antioxidant, anti-cancer, anti-aging repair molecule. And so it becomes a problem when your cells can't make enough melatonin to repair. So that's why I started making blue light protection glasses, blue light blocking glasses uh, through my company, Raw Optics, and blocking those frequencies. That's I just put these on because the sun basically just set here. I'm in, in Europe several hours ahead of Aaron. And so... That's, that's kind of the, the high level of it to, to get, I guess, into a little more detail. You said like this huge evolutionary shift, like it is a pretty big shift because if you look at the way homes are built today and the way buildings are built today, like previously they, they had to factor in, they need natural light. Like people, like a place where there's no light, that's like called a prison. Like people basically have pr like prisons throughout history. They knew that when they put people, prisons were typically underground. Like they don't let in a lot of light because after an extended period of time, except again for the maybe highly advanced yogi, a extended period of light deprivation causes you to become more docile, more tired, more um, sub, you know, submissive, basically 
uh, empty. The battery becomes empty, not a time for reproduction, right? And that's, that's what prison and the dungeon has essentially always been, the deprivation of light. And so, yeah, to, to make people more docile. So in the same way, like uh, modern indoor workplaces, for example, or even many living spaces have become kind of like dungeons because, because artificial light has been believed to be an equivalent to replace sunlight because it allows you to see which is based on the false idea that light's only purposes for us to be able to see things, which is really like funny if you think about it at a basic level. Like the thing, the very thing that gives us life has been, it's, it's a very interesting um, uh, analysis of modern human view of the world that the very thing responsible for giving us life has been isolated down and limited down to, oh, it's just something that lets us see. Like the, 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 the total... Uh, lack of perspective in our modern world today and the way society at large focuses. But anyhow, this is to say that indoor living that is allowed by modern artificial lights, like LED fluorescence, first incandescent, then fluorescent, which is was a, a more bright and more white for offices. And now LEDs is not like being out in the sun. It's more like being in a dungeon, but it's with the higher wavelengths, higher proportions of blue, which, which stimulates activity and the stress hormones without the more healing red and infrared light, uh, which balances out the blue. And, and over time, it creates stress. It creates disease, aging, problems in the cells. There's, there's tons of research on this, especially when it's disrupting our sleep at night. But even constantly during the day, this light that's not harmonious or, or, or balanced in the same way that the solar spectrum is, the full spectrum light, it creates physiological imbalance and, and even disease. And so everybody knows working in a desk in an office is not really a fun place to be, but few necessarily consider that a large part of it could just be that the lighting spectrum is so deficient. Like an outdoor bungalow type office in a tree in the jungle could be pretty cool or like out just with more natural lighting. But, and that's why I love to work out at a cafe with open air or on the beach under an umbrella. Like I'm not indirect sun, but I got that full spectrum light coming in. Two things. How do we sleep better? Do we need more sunlight during the day in order to sleep better at night? And, and what is the, the protocol in the evening to get a, a a good night's rest probably for a lot of people if it gets dark at five they're not going to like go red for six hours it's probably going to be maybe like an hour before bed two hours before bed like what's realistic for people how long does that response last you know if you get blasted by blue lights in your bathroom and you know it's it's two hours before bed is that really that impactful in those two hours? like how how long is that that stimulus last to reduce melatonin and kind of put you in a place of like wakefulness uh and then um I also am curious, I've heard things like around the lines of like junk light, kind of like junk food. Is there something, I think we've, we've been talking about this throughout, but is the, the light that we're getting from light bulbs in the house, like how different is that than full spectrum light from the, the sun? Is there some, is, is like the junk light, junk food analogy fair in any way, or is that kind of misleading and not appropriate? Yeah, these are amazing questions. I'll start with that last bit about junk light. I actually think it is pretty fair. To me, junk light doesn't sound good just because I don't like the word junk. It just to me doesn't sound good. 
Uh, and I like when things sound good and I like when things look good. You know, I'm like an aesthet. Let's say there's a word. I didn't know about this until somebody told me an aesthet is someone who loves beautiful things and has an eye for beauty. And 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 in the same way, uh, yeah, junk, no. I would say a better term would be there's artificial light. I'll, I'll come up with a better term and let you know at some point. But anyway, okay. um, <laughs> let's just go with artificial light for the time being. Yeah. So artificial as opposed to natural, right? Like synthesized as opposed to naturally produced through the, the harmonious workings of the natural world. So it is like junk food, relatively speaking, to be honest, because it isn't providing a full spectrum of nutrients in the way that a whole food does or that whole full spectrum light does. So the analogy is pretty spot on junk food, refined processed food, really high amount of, let's say sugar, carbohydrates, certain toxic fats, very, uh, just big doses of that artificial light is almost the exact same thing. Like it's a big dose of red, a big dose of green and a big dose of blue RGB, the traditional led. And there's nothing wrong with red, green, and blue, but it's just when there's such a, a high spike, uh, of each, and not this balance that is found in the sun. It doesn't provide our cells with the full spectrum in a way that a, a, a healthy food that's full of vitamins and minerals would. So that's a very good way to look at it, to be honest, when we're in artificial light. I mean, and somebody asked, well, what is the exact effect of that? Well, what's the exact effect of eating processed food constantly versus whole food? Well, the, the exact effect would be you're going to be deficient in certain nutrients and have excess of others. And that's what artificial light essentially does. And it leads to these diseases of stress and diabetes, obesity. Um, you know, there's a lot of different things and, and some are direct effects by, you know, artificial light negatively affecting our cellular function during the day. Other effects are, let's say, indirect by artificial light disrupting melatonin and sleep quality, and then the disrupted sleep quality, thereby leading to the onset of certain diseases and poor sleep has been linked to all these diseases. So, so that's a, that's a great way to start. And then as far as what is the routine, how long does it last and so on? Well, you just saw like the sun's going down here and I decided to put on, I'll brighten up my screen though, so that there's still a little bit of light on me, but basically sun's going down and I put on my blue light blocking glasses because it's it's that time now for me to to basically protect from this light. Like even if it got dark at five o'clock in the evening, I'd still put on my glasses. I might start with my uh, yellow lenses. So we have two lenses at Roptics. We have basically you could think of them step one and step two. So yellow daylight lenses, red sunset lenses. The yellow daylight lenses are meant to take the harmful artificial light, like LEDs, fluorescent lights, and make it warmer and more soothing. And that's essentially what they do. Uh, and if you wear them outdoors on a gray day, they actually like boost your mood up. So they they really bring artificial light to be more like daylight, like sunlight in, in a way. And, and it has this effect uh, for the physiology, but they can also be used at night because they block basically 100%, just shy of 100% of blue light. They can also be used at night even for sleep protection. Now the red sunset lenses are like, let's say level two protection. You wouldn't wear these during the day. They're way too red and too dark. These are like the knock you on your ass, get tired and fall asleep lenses. And so I would sometimes like maybe start with my yellow lenses. And then as I want to really get tired, I'll wear the red lenses. Tonight in this case, I'm ready to just get winding down pretty shortly. Um, so I just throw on the red sunset lenses. And 
I would say like two to three hours before bedtime would be the right time window to really wind down. But if you're like me, you're just going to start winding down from the moment the sun sets. Uh, even if I still work, if the sun set at five, I might work a couple, one or two hours after that, but then really start turning it off, winding down, you know, seven or eight. Try, I try to go to sleep by eight or nine every night, usually end up going to sleep closer to 10. Uh, and that's, that's kind of it. And then the question about light disrupting sleep, like there's evidence, uh, you know, different evidence, uh, varying evidence, but there's evidence to show that every hour, if someone's looking at an iPad, let's say for every hour they're looking at it before sleep after sunset, there's a 22% reduction in melatonin production from what the baseline would be. So like an instant shot of blue light, does it have an effect? Yes, because it all has an effect, but is it really significant? Probably not majorly significant, although I personally don't like it because it just it does just wake me up. Like, for example, a, a great question would be like, does a tiny sip of caffeine have an effect at night? Like if you're totally desensitized, probably not. But if you're very sensitive, like even just like with homeopathy, they use super diluted uh, uh, toxics to chemicals oftentimes are toxins, certain herbs or things that would be toxic, but they actually get the opposite effect when they dilute it a lot. But anyway, point being that small amounts of things can have big effects. A tiny amount of caffeine for someone who's sensitized could keep them awake. Potentially. I, I have that effect. Even a sip of coffee at night, I'm, I'm going to have a problem. So point being, I would recommend once you commit and get into the lifestyle of protecting and blocking blue light at night, like having more candles in your house, warmer light bulbs, like incandescent bulbs instead of LEDs, warmer incandescent bulbs, Google search Thomas Edison incandescent bulbs, and they're becoming outlawed incandescent bulbs. So I would buy as many as people can before they're totally gone because they're a superior source of light. And that brings me to your final question is, or like it's all part of what you're asking, how do they compare to the sun? Like incandescent bulbs are the closest to the sunlight possible. They're very good. Incandescent and halogen bulbs for the most part, are, are pretty good. But LEDs and fluorescents are pretty bad. That's the breakdown. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate uh, your life, to all you've done to be able to present <laughs> all this now. Uh, and if you, so your sunglasses, they're my, my or not sunglasses, rather, blue light glasses. Um, they're my personal preferred ones. I'm a big fan. They're called Raw Optics. And we have a I just looked it up to see if we actually do have a discount code. I think it's if you hey, go to you raw, sure. yeah, raoptics.optics.com slash align. You can, there's some discount there and you mm. can see what the styles are and whatnot. And um, I think they're, it's like, for me, it's an invaluable tool that I'll bring when I travel, especially. Uh, I use them less at my house because I just kind of use, you know, I have like salt lamps and I have incandescent bulbs that I use and, um, yeah, try to tone the lights down at night. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, that's people can check them out. I think they're, they're steezy, which is cool. And, Thanks. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, and yeah, man, thank you so much for, for making time to do this. I really greatly appreciate you, uh, just as a friend and a person and, uh, a mentor of topics like this. <laughs> you so, too, brother. Yeah. It goes both ways. Yeah. Um, where, uh, should, people go if they want to go deeper into your work into research science around light into where i suggested the raw optics is your the, the blue blocking glasses company if you guys are interested in 
kind of supporting some of their your, your, your rest at night. But where do people go from here? Yeah, so I would say if people want to learn more right off the bat, I wrote, as I mentioned earlier, much earlier on a blog post called An Introduction to the Light Diet. And that is at rawoptics.com forward slash the light diet. And it breaks down all the steps and that's free. It's just something that I really believe in, honestly, because it's helped me so much. Uh, naturally, a part of that is the products, the glasses, which as you mentioned, like, I mean, I don't know how to say it. Like, I'm not here to sell my own products. Like they sell themselves. Like the reviews we get are insane, to be honest. And my goal was just to take something that's like already exists and make it as good as possible, right? Like we couldn't patent the concept of blocking blue light to improve sleep because it's not patentable. People have done it for a long time. It's a general concept. It'd be like trying to patent the concept of a shoe. Like you can't do that. You could have maybe done it when shoes were invented way back when, if, if such was possible. But uh, anyhow, my goal was to make them better. And so we use Italian acetate is the plastic material, German metal. So it just means a more durable, sturdy product. Uh, we still have some lighter weight models like the pair I wear. It's called Pop. It's super lightweight, super flexible. And then we work with basically leading scientists, both on the research side of how the light affects the body and then on the pigment side of developing the lenses themselves. And we have patents that we have for the particular pigments we use in the lenses. And so there's a lot that goes into a pretty simple product, but I appreciate you saying they look steezy. We have some really cool all metal styles, like an aviator style and a circular style and a club master style also that's going to be launching soon. The metal ones are already out. And so, uh, yeah, people can go to rawoptics.com, just R-A, no W, raw optics, like the sun god of Egypt.com and find the products there and use them as they wish. As I mentioned earlier, like the red sunset lenses are like level two, knock you out, get tired, go to sleep. And for people who just want to sleep better, I would use the red sunset lenses. But for the average person who just wants something they can use when they go out with their friends and they're watching the football game or whatever, or they're in their office, I would get the yellow daylight lenses for the majority of people if they just want one, because you can use it during the day for blue light protection. As long as you go outside every two or so hours or one or two hours, get light to wake you up. And then at night, you can also use them, but just don't take them off and don't blast yourself with any bright light when they're off. Um, and then that will help your brain recognize that it's time to really produce more melatonin. And it's all enhanced by following the light diet at rawoptics.com forward slash the light diet. Cause you get the sunrise, the sunset, like a little bit, it doesn't have to be perfect, but those are the biggest takeaways. And then the Instagram. So would be the light diet for me and raw underscore optics for the company. So people can check it out and we have really cool products coming soon on the line of light and color therapy that I've mentioned, hopefully within the next three to six months, we'll have some cool developments coming out. So I'm looking forward to that as well. I'll Sweet keep you posted. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you for tuning in. That is it. That is all. And I'll see you next yeah. week. Thank you so much, Aaron. I appreciate it. Hope you guys devoured that conversation. If you would like to hear more conversations like this, uh, Matt referenced Dr. Jack Cruz. I've had him on multiple times, at least twice, maybe three times in the past. Uh, so you can go back and check out those past episodes with him. I also have an episode with Gerald Pollock, who we get into him in the beginning of this episode. So really fascinating stuff coming. Once again, be sure to subscribe so you catch each week's episodes. Uh, thank you for sharing 
Thank you for implementing the information in here. And lastly, I'd love for you to meet me over in the free Align community where I share exclusive content around strength training, flexibility work, longevity, things of the sort. Also have clips from the podcast and the video to this episode and more. That is absolutely free and can be found over at alignpodcast.com slash community. I appreciate you guys for, so much for tuning in. I appreciate seeing you guys over in the online community and I uh, hope you have a tremendous week.